0: Hello and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly why fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language. Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie and I'm Kelly. And in episode
1: 27, we're discussing Kingdom of Souls by Rena Barron. The novel follows Ara, the daughter of two powerful witch doctors, and Ara longs for magic of her own. When Ara discovers her mother's plan to reawaken the Demon King, she pays a steep price for magic to stop the plot. There's adventure, pining, friendship, and a ton of magic. And Kingdom of Souls is the first book in a planned trilogy.
0: Initial reactions. Okay. Full disclosure, I received this book as an ARC as the author was trying to make sure the book got into the hands of POC reviewers. Um, So the book was sent around the country to different um, POC reviewers and yeah, that was really fun because everyone like put their email and like Instagram handles, that kind of stuff. So that being said, I really did enjoy this book. I love the magic, the way ordinary people interacted with the gods and the plot twist at the end, which I did not see coming. What about you?
1: I also loved this book. It was really complex from the characterization and magical system standpoint, and there were several twists that I didn't see coming, like you said. I really enjoyed it. It was like unlike anything I had ever read before, and I can't wait to read the other books in the series.
0: Time to talk about all things world building in Through the Wardrobe. Okay, we really can't talk about this book without talking about the Orisha. When we read Children of Blood and Bone, I didn't realize the Orisha were part of the Yoruba faith. Um, I'm going to link to a few things in the show notes, one of which is a crash course with a white dude, but it was still really informative, (laughs) and it was really cool to see the origin story of the Orisha and how they interacted with humans in the beginning. Um, Part of my background is Nigerian, so I really enjoyed learning more about the Yoruba people and the faith they brought with them when they were sold into slavery, so much of which is influence, um, has influenced modern day voodoo. So I thought that part was like really, really cool. And I wish I would have looked this up when we read CBB because I had no idea. Yeah.
1: Reading this book, I have, I guess, a fuller view, I would say, of what the Arisha are. And I thought this part was incredible. There's more and more fantasy coming out of, with like a West African tradition. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see that expanding the publishing industry
0: right yeah there's another one i think the daughters of nari that i really want to read um we'll put it on our tbr which is ever growing <laughs> i feel like in children of blood and bone we got like a pantheon kind of like 13 i think there were like 13 of the orisha that we talked about in that book but i feel like this one had more like it expanded that a lot is that correct
1: yeah i would say so and then we also see the orisha actually talking we had some pov right. chapters from arisha perspectives in kingdom of souls which i thought was really really cool in that it we kind of got to see how different they are mm-hmm. right how especially with like the unnamed one and how she didn't know what feelings were really right. didn't know what life was or versus death because she's mm-hmm. there immortal um so i thought those pov chapters were a really nice supplement to the arisha and it filled it out a little bit more
0: there also seems to be a distinction about who is a god where and that also seems to make a difference in who is polytheistic um who worship Heka um in the kingdom they worship the Orisha and then the tribal lands they worship Heka I did some slight research and found that Heka was a god in ancient Egypt and that Heka is also the Egyptian word for magic I never got a specific sense of where the book was supposed to take place in particular, but it could have been as far-reaching as Egypt, but also thought it was different that the people who worshipped Heka still believed in the that the Orisha existed. At least that was my impression. So it was interesting to see this, like dichotomy of like we worship this god but we also believe these other gods exist that was really interesting to me because i don't feel like it's something you see that often in like not just ya books but in books in general
1: yeah it was a definitely a more expansive spiritual world building system i would say mm-hmm. like um i listened to the audiobook so they said hika i have no idea oh, okay i i, don't I have know. no idea Heka, either. Hika, who knows <laughs> I liked that there wasn't this sort of um, like a conquest narrative necessarily about needing to eradicate the polytheistic religion um, in favor of the monotheistic religion or vice versa. It was a model for how these different belief systems can coexist. Right. Which I thought was not something that we've really we haven't seen that sort of complexity built into a spiritual system in other books we've read for the podcast. I don't think it's usually a one or the other if spirituality enters in at all.
0: Mm-hmm. well and it's not something we see in like a day-to-day even like in our in our real world <laughs> um, because like in the United States at least most like the most popular religions are the monotheistic ones and they're like fighting about who's right and like my religion's better than yours and you know those kinds of things so it was interesting to see a world where they're like yeah these two religions exist and they're both true and we're fine with that like we're not going to fight about it I thought that was really cool to see like people who could be of different religions and still get along and live, you know, live their separate and together lives. And it was like, fine. Absolutely. One thing I did not understand is why the ruler of the kingdom was called the almighty one. When we know they all believe in gods, that was really strange to me. I don't,
1: I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe because of my like knowledge of, you know, monotheistic Christian religions and God being called like the almighty. Like I associate that word with a God, but maybe that's not really what it's meant to mean. Although I think that there was, so within the, the capital or do you remember what the city was called?
1: I don't remember what the city is called. (laughs) I think it's called the kingdom, the kingdom. Okay. So in the kingdom, what was interesting to me is that there's this juxtaposition because it's a very hierarchical, Um, like political system and social Mm -hmm. and social structure so the almighty one and his children so it's like the Mm -hmm. king essentially and his kids um are in charge and but then it's juxtaposed with this polytheistic um orisha Mm -hmm. belief system and then in the tribal lands we have the adam which is the Mm -hmm. witch doctor council that leads all the different that leads this the tribes that are more it's just a like a larger diversity of cultures and traditions right. and we see them working together but they mm-hmm. believe in they are have a monotheistic religion they believe right
0: in yeah that is kind of interesting i guess maybe it's kind of similar to how like um in with monarchies the almighty one is chosen by the gods maybe it's more similar to that yeah yeah like the divine
1: yeah like the divine right of kings
0: yeah that's what it's called or or queens or (laughs) well but not usually (laughs) but right now (laughs) um i'm watching the crown so i'm like you know in it Ra calls her parents by their first names and I just thought this was so like wild to me because my parents would have never let me get away with this <laughs> I was like this this is just this is just too much <laughs> jealous yeah well not really I don't it's it, to me it would feel weird to call my parents by their first name but probably because you know I never did that <laughs> Yeah. cultural differences yeah but it's also funny because this the book takes place in um west africa but when i i'm like reading the book i think if her is black i'm like no black kid would ever call their parent by their first name <laughs> so that was like really funny to me yeah <laughs> but like also cultural differences like you know within countries or whatever definitely um that was really funny the book also brings up this idea of what does it mean to have a soul or are our are, are souls are we our souls or something else. So there's a bit of a mind body problem at play here, which is like this philosophical thing about like, are we our souls or are we made up of something else? Like there's like a distinction there and it's obviously not agreed on and it's something that's come up in other episodes. So I'll link to I think it's a crash course because they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. what makes us who we are? Yeah, it kind of
1: stems from, like, the Cartesian mind-body dualism. Right. Like, yeah. I think, for therefore I am sort of thing versus, like, what is... How important is the body in living versus right. are you mainly existing in your mind? And yeah. then adding the soul component onto things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of YA seems to believe in souls and those being the things that make us who we are. So I enjoyed watching the crash course on this, but it's, it's funny to see how, like nya something that you know some people think of as um childish or for younger people they're taking on like kind of these big philosophical um issues that i don't think we always see in like books for quote-unquote adults (laughs)
1: absolutely yeah it's these huge existential problems Mm -hmm. that that kingdom of souls is trying to look at yeah, I agree with you that YA often gets written off as childish, but at the same time is dealing with some of the largest issues Yes, at the core of basically human existence. Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic. Magic is so complex in this book, I really had to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. I think hands down kingdom of souls has the most complex magical system of any book we've read for the podcast so far would you agree
0: yeah i definitely think so and i think part of it is because the book isn't rooted in stories that we have heard before so we really like um cruel prince like we have heard fairy tale stories we kind of know like true names like those sorts of things or um even like uh the grisha verse like Some of those stories and tropes are things that we're more familiar with. So like by bringing in a different magical system and different gods that we don't really see all the time in our books, I think it makes it feel more complicated. And we have like all these gods from different areas. It was really interesting to me. But I actually do think it is more complicated. Oh, do you think so?
1: I think it is way more complicated. Okay. Yeah, because you have the Orisha doing Mm -hmm. their magical things and then the pre and then these priests that can use orisha power and tell the future and read minds and see things but then you also have hika and the Mm -hmm. tribal people and there's a bunch of different tribes that all have different kinds of magic and then we also have the cravens which are Mm anti-magic and then you also Mm -hmm. have the potions and blood magic and then you also have demons and demon magic but then we learn that those are those were other kinds of like angel beings like mm-hmm. that pre-existed humans or coexisted with humans at one point thousands of years ago i maintain that this is <laughs> intense
0: yeah there's a lot going on in the story which was also like really cool because maybe we don't get that many complex like super complex systems of magics in other books
1: yeah it was more it was just like so 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 far ahead of like a, a Harry Potter style where yeah. magic exists and you need to have a wand and there are those with it and those without it. Yeah. Also because you can buy it and at the cost of your years mm-hmm. too. So I just I thought that Rena Baron did a really excellent job with the magical system in the book.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: And Ara is pretty much obsessed with magic and for good reason her parents are both powerful witch doctors and her grandmother is a chief of is that what they called them what they call i think i think a chieftain a chieftain mm -hmm, of Mm -hmm. one of the tribes And I think the novel is very successful at communicating to readers why magic is so mesmerizing and powerful and incredible. And it helps that we're accessing everything through Ara's point of view, except for those few Orisha POV chapters. Mm -hmm. And I I thought Baron does a, a really good job of developing Ara's emotional connection to magic. I could really feel her deep longing for magic when she doesn't have it, like this emptiness that she feels and insufficiency, like in like she's so unsatisfied with the fact that she doesn't have magic and also her profound disappointment when it doesn't end up manifesting for her
0: yeah I would agree with that especially like it's funny because thinking like in, in comparison to Harry Potter she's like a squib and that like her both of her parents have magic and like so like that would be really like can you imagine being like the kid of two like very powerful witches and then you just have nothing like that would be so hard. I think
1: that's very much like a Neville character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But she seems cooler than Neville. Sorry, Neville. <laughs> um no, but I 100% agree.
1: I loved the visual descriptions of magic as these like different colors or sparks racing along skin and in the air and at the same time it has its own presence that's not visual Mm -hmm. I thought that this was just like really cool and fascinating and a step up from like manipulating the elements or those sorts of it didn't take for granted that we knew what magic looked like and so it really built it out
0: yeah a way to show that like magic can look different in different like instantiations but also kind of similar to like infinite noise where we're seeing like maybe authors are working harder to make to be more descriptive and what they're trying to tell us when things are kind of more magical. Cause like an in infinite noise, we're seeing like the emotions, like we uh-huh. can see them, they're different colors. They look different. And in this case, like the different colors of the magic, um, uh, moving around in the, in the, um, in the scenes or whatever. So that's, I mean, it's really cool. <laughs> the big gathering that takes place once a year happens um, in the tribal lands happens on the blood moon, which um blood moons have a special significance for new beginning beginnings which lines up 100% with this story and I thought that was an interesting thing to add because I think I guess it's hard because in different cultures like a blood moon could mean different things can you explain a little bit what a blood moon is oh can I let's see um yes I can so a blood moon is when a total lunar eclipse occurs during a super moon. So the moon looks really red um, and really big. Yeah. Is that it? That's all. I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I thought it was really cool. And plus I love it when the moon looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I'm seeing is that um,
1: in these like tarot scopes that I get every month, is that it talks about there's different indigenous tribes have different names for a sa- the same moon mm-hmm. and like just following the, time as it as the earth moves through like the cycle of the year and the seasons and it's just like a much more embodied material connection to
0: how time passes in our physical realm right which is really interesting especially because it kind of follows along with the months so it's yeah i think it's really interesting and and beautiful (laughs) so magic in this
1: novel slash series is something that people are pretty much born with but it doesn't necessarily manifest until later in life like around puberty Um, and those who want magic but can't call it on their own can pay a price to access magical abilities in limited quantities so what happens is they sacrifice years of their life to magic and these are people are called charlatans in the book and they're looked down upon in both tribal societies and in the kingdom but what do you think about the idea of accessing
0: magic, even if you're not supposed to quote unquote? I'm like, if you want to do it, if your life is worth it, like if it's worth it to sacrifice some of your life, like why not do it? I'm also not like really into being told what I am and am not supposed to do. So I'm kind of like, you guys could fuck off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of into it. I like that. It's a a more like radically democratizing Or more accessible form. I mean obviously there's a price to pay. But I like that it upsets this like haves and have nots. It's not just like muggles and people with magic. It's much more
0: nuanced than that. Right. Yeah. Agreed.
1: Do you remember where magic comes from in this world? Humans haven't always had magic if I remember correctly. After the war with the Demon King and the Orishas hika shows up and kind of like fills this void or something and gifts the tribal people magic but the orishas aren't on board with this as far as i remember i'm confused about this aspect of
0: the novel tbh that might be the case um full disclosure i read this book in june so (laughs) and it is now october so i might have forgotten some things about what happened in the story (laughs) um but that sounds right to me, like that's bringing back some memories. I think, yeah, like the Orisha didn't want them to have magic and maybe there's some kind of pun- like maybe that's why they take time off the life. Like that's punishment. I don't remember.
1: I'm hoping that we learn more about this in future books. That it, mm-hmm. like I think that's what it seems to be where the series seems to be the direction it seems to be heading in is that like Ara is realizing that there's a lot more history right underlying the present moment and all of the issues that are happening in the present moment than she originally thought. Like the Orishas aren't as good or benevolent and the Demon King might not be all bad and I don't I guess we'll see if magic turns out to be a good thing or not.
0: Right. Which is I mean it's kind of how, as a young person, like you come to understand the world around you, like mm-hmm. everything seems kind of black and white until you kind of look below the surface. And I know that's me saying that. And I'm like, come on, Jesse, you don't really think that. but <laughs> um it kind of is like once you dig down deep into anything, like everything's more complicated than it looks like when you look at it, like on first glance. Mm-hmm.
1: and the the novel definitely takes the reader on that journey along with mm-hmm. Ara.
0: Yeah, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was a really good way to because you kind of often, I think, in books with magic come into it thinking like, well, this is just how the magic is. Like, these people are good. These people are bad. And it kind of usually stays that way. And it's always been that way and won't change. Right. 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 And so it was interesting to see um, the story come at it from like a different angle. This book has demons and demon possessions. As in, like, the demon-possessed people. (laughs) Um, The demons almost seem like their own race who inhabited the Earth after the Orisha, but before humans. So we have a differentiation in good and bad magic that seems to depend on the person or thing who is wielding it. Mm -hmm. Does that seem correct?
1: Yes, I'm not sure if the demons pre-existed humans we know that they coexisted at one point Mm -hmm. and then there was like the big fallout the big war or whatever um and it does seem the book does seem to hint that the demons might just be perceived and called demons after the fact and that they aren't necessarily demonic or evil
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. But they're still like kicking about right now. Yeah. In our, okay. In their current. Okay. I was me. <laughs> like they're still around <laughs> doing bad things. We also have familiars for the first time in my life. I have read like this book has familiars being a bad thing. Um, on page 75 familiars are described as restless ghosts, ghosts with no souls seeking what they cannot have life. And that is, like, so different from every other time I've heard of familiars that I was like, oh, I never thought of, like, any other possibility for them. Because normally I think of them as, like, an animal that's your familiar and they, like, help you with your magic or whatever. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, like, change to what we see as, like, the norm. Mm-hmm. And they,
1: the familiars would show up and almost be this, like, um a warning Mm-hmm. Or like a symptom of evil going on because they feed off of other people's emotions, right? Right, they feed off of strong emotions.
0: Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about the Cravens for
1: a second because that was a uh, an addition that like filled out the magical system. Mm-hmm. That is, it's anti magic. So it's like the absence of magic, but then at the same time, Cravens are have their own power that I think we could also call magic. For sure. They're shape-shifting beings whose real identities and contributions and traditions have been obscured from humans through generations of storytelling. Like this legend that we get about the first... Uh, about Ra- Rajik's, like lineage, basically. Right. His ancestor is the one who saw the Craven and fought it and... And brought back the bones and we realize that this is a through line in the entire novel this story is more complicated than it's originally described mm-hmm. and Rajek is part craven yes so i guess that that is a legacy it doesn't like diminish with time because i don't know how many generations down the line Rajek is from his ancestor i mean it seems like it would have to be kind of a lot yeah i agree I'm excited to see where this goes in future books. I maybe we'll get POV chapters where we see Rojek like learning more about himself and his powers and his
0: identity, but that had to be a real mind fuck for that character. Well, and because when he comes back and like him and Ara can't touch each other, that's only after she has like taken on like all the powers of the gods, correct?
1: No, of the tribal
0: elders. Oh, uh, of the tribal of elders. the witch doctors. Yeah. So before they would have been fine yeah okay
1: i'm curious to see where this goes we can talk about that later
0: okay okay let's
1: <laughs> melisandre ing is now an official verb of the podcast i've decided <laughs> without asking jesse okay
0: fine 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 you
1: you agree okay great i agree yeah because we have rt wanting to have a demon baby
0: why do people want to have demon babies? I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because that's also happened with House of Salt and Sorrows, demon baby, demon baby. I mean, I guess technically she got a real like a human baby and a demon baby. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird.
1: I'm I'm not I don't understand the impulse. Maybe
0: just to have power, I guess. Yeah, I guess power at all costs. But I'm like, I don't want a demon baby. And then also roping
1: a life into it that had no ability to consent whether or not it was going to be. Yeah, no, not cool.
0: Yeah. Also, <laughs> it's funny because Effia, like, <laughs> when I was reading that, all I could think of was Renez from Twilight. You know, <laughs> I'm like, why? She's growing up so fast. Like, this is so weird. And then I was like, oh, that's why, because it reminds me of that book that. I used to love it now I don't but (laughs) people can like it if they want to (laughs) they really
1: called that baby Renesme.
0: yes oh my
1: god I forgot about that
0: (laughs) I know I was (laughs) that's ridiculous Kristen Stewart's been in like not in the news but that new Charlie's Angels movie is coming Mm. out soon so I've like it brought back like all the Twilight memories for me (laughs) she
1: has glowed up since Twilight I am hashtag obsessed
0: yeah I I thought you would be I digress we'll see the movie we will
1: <laughs> i just want to list out afia's powers because to like round out this magical system mm-hmm. discussion because she is incredibly powerful yes her powers are incl- include but aren't limited to turning people children often into in which were zombies right that do Aphia's bidding she can pluck demon souls from thin air she can read minds she can facilitate demon possessions of human or animal bodies she can inflict bodily harm and like freeze people in place to where they can't move or do anything and she can slip into the space between time worlds to travel long distances very quickly and she grows up really fast <laughs> yeah which is another power in and of itself i guess that's a pretty formidable foe
0: for Ara to be facing, and she can do she can do like glamors like fairies because she convinces Red Jack that she is Ara. That's true. I didn't remember that one. Yeah, good point. I don't know how they're going to defeat this, you know, teenager child baby. <laughs> but didn't they stab her and she died? Is she dead though? I don't know. I don't have any hope for that. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to count on that because <laughs> it would be like super normal i feel like to have her somehow come back and murder them all or something
1: (laughs) or be like a big clash between her and aura
0: again yeah because is the mom dead now yes okay (laughs) see what i remember and don't remember (laughs) wands away Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. This book has so many villains, and I really enjoyed how complicated all their relationships with Aura. She has her mother, who is doing terrible things, but she longs to please her mother. The Demon King, who apparently was the wife of the Orisha that is residing in Aura, the unnamed Orisha, and Effia. Ara's little sister, who is literally a demon child, and it was great to see a main character who's willing to try anything to stop RT and Effia, even if it meant killing them. So often our main characters are willing to go pretty far, but killing is a line they aren't really willing to cross, but not Ara, which, of course, I really appreciated. (laughs) And it's a bit more...
1: I'm not going to say realistic, because that's also... But also realistic? (laughs) Realistic or just honest in the fact that sometimes the means are ones that we wish we didn't
0: have to take by any means necessary (laughs) I'm also just like on board with like killing people if you have to like not in real life I wouldn't but in a book I'm like yeah you have to kill them or you're gonna die I mean
1: and that's also like kind of how history works
0: yeah that's true
1: I agree that this book has a lot of villains, and one of the things that I enjoyed most, which will surprise no one, is the uh, <laughs> refusal to fall into the binary of characters being completely good or totally evil. Instead, there's like a lot of complex motivations that go behind the evil, quote-unquote, evil characters or villainous mm-hmm. characters. I just really appreciate when people take the time to develop the why behind the behaviors we see as villainous or violent. It's just more fruitful to me. As like a reader, I enjoy thinking about those things and I enjoy those sorts of complexities. Mm -hmm. So R.T. would be the key example of that. Right. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule. And so I would say the cop priest Ren Ike is one of those. Right. He, He shows up just as like this complete villain who violates young women's minds by replacing their memories with ones that bring him pleasure. Right. This strikes me as a really I was going to say interesting, but now I want to take that back as like a, (laughs) as I, I liked that this way of um, showing that rape or violation is about power and not sex. I thought that this Mm -hmm. was one of the ways to visualize that without actually having a rape scene, for example, in the book. Right. And I, I think that this concept of the body mind developed by scholars like Eli Clare and, um, or like Sammy Schalk where they're not distinguishing between a mind and a body, like seeing it as one thing is, is important in this discussion, right? Because the mind body dualism doesn't really hold up like a a violation to the mind. we see this in the book is a violation to the body and vice versa. So there really is no difference between the two. They are body minds like in one as one word.
0: That makes sense we just have really the one villain who's like a hundred percent bad and he kind of is the motivating factor be- between rt becoming like a villain right. in the story so without and it's funny because it's a villain that we don't get to know that well so like kelly can't fall in love with him um, <laughs> don't worry the demon no King. Villain backstory That'll oh be my me. god i know oh my god <laughs> um kelly loves a good villain backstory i really do and 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 in this case, like, I 100% agree. Like, I don't agree that I can, like, fall in love with a Darkling as he's portrayed in the books. I'm um, very
1: conflicted about it. You keep bringing it up. It's something I have not made peace with for myself.
0: <laughs> now, now that he's played by Ben Barnes in the show that's going to come out, I will probably be on your side because I love Ben Barnes. Um, but, yeah, I like these backstories, especially for RT, because she seems so terrible. And then you kind of learn the why as being behind it and it's like is she that bad I mean I probably wouldn't sacrifice my kid or Melisandre but yeah yeah exactly so I don't know I think it's pretty pretty powerful stuff
1: yeah and the, I it makes sense that she's on the side of the demon king because he's mm-hmm. the only person who intervened or cared or listened to her when the Orishas could have when she was being violated by Caprice Ren Ike. so yeah I get it I mean I I don't think we can Like, just write her off as completely evil.
0: No, I 100% agree. She did what she had to by any means necessary.
1: (laughs) What are your thoughts about the Orisha as villains in this novel? Or the Demon King as not a villain?
0: I mean, I can see both sides of that argument. Like, why the Orisha are villains and the Demon King is not really... The Orishas seem kind of like shitty in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard because they are gods. And I want to say like they're playing God like with all the stuff, but like they are. So, but I think it's like one of those things where sometimes people need to see that if a God can create something that is evil, then maybe they're not all good.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a good point.
0: That's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> what do you think? I like your take. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs>
1: onward magical listeners just as one does not simply walk into Mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class and gender and ability and other things this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate let's talk about race
0: let's I really love that this book shows so much of the diaspora of Black people. We see people with varying skin tones from albino to very dark. Mm -hmm. Each tribe has different physical attributes. There are different clothing styles and different types and styles of wearing one's hair. Showing that, even though many lump Africa into one place without geographical, political, and cultural distinctions um each group of people will have all of those things. Um blackness in Africa is not a monolith and the book did a really good job of showing that. I really appreciated like this this view to show that, you know, it everywhere can be all different even in a, a continent that gets all lumped together as like a country, like the country of Africa. Yeah,
1: I loved how this novel really refuses to accept that because it's just completely not true the fact that right. blackness are Africa is a monolith, yeah, the country of Africa. Whenever mm-hmm. I hear people say like, oh, yeah, I went to Africa. And I'm like, wait, but where did you go? Where right. in Africa? Yeah. I refuse. I'm like, no, that is not enough of a descriptor. You're going to say you went to Spain, but then you're going you're to say you went to Africa? No, there are countries in Africa. It's just bullshit. Anyway, I completely agree with you. I thought that the detailed depictions of ethnic and cultural differences really built out the racial system and made it more complex than just, like, different skin colors, which also happened, I think it focused more on the racial and, or on the ethnic and cultural differences than it did different skin tones. Um, right. Because those are where the substantive differences lie, right? The languages, cultures, right. clothing, tattoos, hairstyles, types of greetings, weapons, relationships to magic, social hierarchies, all of those things are different.
0: Yeah. I don't think that we get to see this very often and probably because we don't get that many books that take place in West Africa or Africa in general, like whole continent-wise. Not the country. Not the country. It's a continent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But so it was really just really cool to see this, like these differences. And I think we get this also with Children of Blood and Bone, of course. But I'm excited to see more novels that do this.
1: Ara is portrayed as... Biracial, essentially or like bi-cultural at least right um she has a mixed tribal lineage we could say she's both mulani and Atiri. mulani on her mother's side and Atiri on her father's side and we do see her getting shit for this actually from her ancestors when she calls on them towards the end of the book she says quote am i not worthy of your help because i am different and kind of exposes the hypocrisy to older generations which i thought was really powerful
0: yeah Agreed. On page 160 uh, we have this quote it says the scribes say it's why they're cursed with skin as thin as paper and sensitive to light. I thought this was referring to white people because they're from the (laughs) north and I literally laughed out loud when I read that. I just that was so funny to me. The
1: thin skin metaphor is particularly apt I would say because of like, how pervasive and problematic white fragility is, for example. Like, yeah. it just makes a yeah. ton of sense. And I think it's really an important move to portray whiteness as a weakness rather than something that makes you powerful. Because that's, I mean, the dominant, like, hegemonic narrative, right, is that white is superior. And it's just, no. Just no.
0: You literally can't go
1: outside. Your skin burns. It is really, it's a problem. <laughs> it, is, I, it is a problem I have, yes. I'll link in the show notes to White Fragility, the article and the book by Robin D'Angelo and want to um, call upon my fellow white people out there to read this book and think about their shit and get it together. Yes, please do. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but we see a lot of different kinds of species quote for lack of a better word or different types of beings i guess we could say we have the Aresia, we have the cravens we have humans which are then tribal or kingdom and there's a lot of diversity within like the human species and then also we mm-hmm. have these demons that were like winged beings and we don't really know what they were called they called themselves beforehand but we see the dynamics between them do have a lot in common with discourses of race and racism there's a lot of othering not understanding what the other is doing or what their motivations are and this like lack of knowledge like kind of assuming taking at face value what the cravens are for example aura or the other humans taking for granted that their stories are telling them the truth quote-unquote about what these other beings are when in reality we see that that's not the case at all
0: when i think it's it's really fascinating that a book can have know white characters and still talk about race in this way similar to what we see with children of blood and bone like y- you can show all of these things without centering white people at you know centering them in the narrative which is something that like I really appreciate <laughs> yeah it's a good way to do it too because I think it's easier for people some people white people <laughs> to <laughs> um, like take in those stories when they're not in the story, so they don't feel like, oh, this is talking about me. Exactly. <laughs> it is talking about you. Like, you should know that it is. But if you don't, like, now you know. And also, I think it's a talk- a way to talk about
1: racial differences or race that's not for white people either, right? It's both not centering right. whiteness in the, like, world or description, as in there are no white characters, really. Mm-hmm. And it's not for a white audience. It's not written for us, for me, mm-hmm. right? And that's fine. That's completely fine.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's also a good thing, like even within the black community and other communities of color to address issues of colorism, which the book doesn't deal with specifically. But you can see how the like these um, like metaphors with the Orisha, the Cravens, the humans and the demons can be mapped onto colorism in addition to anti-blackness and like um, like white supremacy, those things like our community should also deal with those issues, too class so we have some class issues related to accumulating wealth in the kingdom and they are related to having magic in the tribal lands. so um if i'm remembering correctly in the kingdom a lot of your class status has to do with how wealthy you are and then in the in the tribal lands it's how powerful you are like with your magic and that distinguishes class
1: yeah, that was fascinating to me, the point about magic being its own sort of like capital among mm-hmm. tribal people. So the, the witch doctors make up the Adam, and they're the tribal con- council that constitutes the leadership of the various tribal peoples. And that social hierarchy, like you said, is determined by how, mu- how powerful a person's magic is. And it seemed a little bit more equitable in that sense, right? It didn't seem like there were as many
0: class stratifications among the tribal people as there were in the kingdom right i guess you see it a little bit where in the tribal lands if you don't have magic there were like other young people bullying a ara-, ara sorry and so i guess that is like the instances where you see like some class issues come up in the tribal lands but it's not you're poor therefore you are you know mm-hmm. it's not about wealth necessarily it's, a, it's like class yeah. distinctions along different lines right right which is a good point to make because we do see class distinctions made in our world without not just related to having money but you know your education like i guess a lot of it's related to material things but you know intersectionality and all that
1: Ara's father, Oshi, has wealthy clients who come to his shop for magical cosmetic alterations. So we do see in the kingdom that magic is something that can be bought and sold. Mm -hmm. And these clients want to make themselves look younger, for example. Right. And so like outside of the tribal lands, magic is something that other people are willing to pay for.
0: Right. And that would make life so much easier. (laughs) It really would. (laughs) Can you imagine how much easier it would be to dye your hair if you could just go in and be like, do the spell (laughs) Mm -hmm. do the spell please thank you yeah although i guess the magic does seem to take some time
1: but it's it's interesting to me that if you're so that you can pay a magical practitioner to access magic Mm -hmm. in a temporary form but that doesn't take years off your life so like that's like a sanctioned way to access magic even Mm -hmm. if you don't possess it quote unquote
0: yeah so like a more allowable like in society that's more allowable within the
1: magical system like it literally doesn't take years off your life
0: although i think when ara's father dies like that woman will become old again right right
1: i I think i got the impression that if she didn't keep accessing that remedy she would become old again
0: okay i mean i probably wouldn't do it to look young but maybe for some other stuff (laughs) R's family has servants. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they might have been indentured or possibly just one, as there was talk about paying off a debt. R makes the case that they treat the servants well, but I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you've
1: been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you'll know that we routinely bring up how complicated the inter-class relationships can be because of the power dynamics. There's just such an inequity. Right. We see Ara being really close with, um, what's her name? Oh my you God. Know,
0: I read it so long ago, God you know I don't remember.
1: I'll look it up. I'm bad. I'll put it in the show notes. But we see these close relationships, Ara and RT each have their close relationships with the servants who work in their household. At least for Tai, which was one of the servants that was closest to Artie, I mean, they have such a a history. So that one does seem to be, like, fleshed out, right? Because they were both victims of Ka-Priest Ren-Ike. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Artie helped uh, or orchestrated the, like, death of this priest as, like, retribution. Mm -hmm. So it does seem that there's, like, a further dimensions to that relationship like they can they can relate on the fact of like they've all three of those people have had trauma related to this one person and then they helped kill them together like that would create a bond
0: outside of class status yeah murdering people together brings you closer together (laughs) ready to talk about gender
1: yes please there's so much to talk about with gender in this novel
0: i know there's a lot of female power going on in the story that was really cool so the atiri are matriarchal uh their be- their belonging is decided by their mother's lineage and their chieftain is a woman ara is still considered atiri even though it is her father that's from the tribe but this may stem from the fact that her grandmother was a chieftain that was the only thing i wasn't really sure about since everything mm. else seemed to go with your like your mother's bloodline yeah everything else was like matrilineal yeah that's interesting right. Yeah,
1: And I think also that connection might be due to the fact that Ara's grandmother was willing to have a relationship with her regardless of if she had magic or not. And her father, too, which brings her closer to the Atiri side versus the Mulani is her mom, but she doesn't have very much access to that at all. It seems like that is a little disruption in the matrilineal, I guess, way of things.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess it's hard because the Mulani chieftain are always women. And I don't know, but was RT up? was she next in line yeah so i guess maybe there maybe our ara is considered a Tiri because her mother decided not to stay in the tribal lands and be next in line for the mulani i think that part of ara's identity
1: it just comes from the fact that like she she doesn't have a relationship with her mom really so she doesn't have access to that side of herself mm-hmm. and so obviously the culture that's more relevant to her will be the atiti
0: yeah which is very interesting when you think about it, and um, from a race standpoint, as someone who's like biracial, like Ara is like multicultural, like she's coming from two different cultures bicultural. Um, so you do kind of have this feeling like where you have to pick a side, and so we mm-hmm. kind of see that with um, Ara, which I didn't really think about until just right now. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the. Importance of matriarchy,
1: or I guess, or like strong female leaders, mm-hmm. that juxtaposes with how things work in the kingdom, right? Because we have a much more patriarchal system. So both the Almighty, Almighty One, is a man and and had sons, right? That are also powerful. And then it doesn't seem like the queen really factors in at all. Mm-mm. And then we also have uh, Rajek's father, who is the vizier,
0: right? Right.
1: Yes. So kind of like the, the right hand person, like the chief operating officer of the kingdom, basically. <laughs> and he's yeah. a man. And then we only see him having sons. The other sons died in this or or went crazy, quote unquote, in right. the, with the like right to Ramek. Um, right. But I thought that juxtaposition was really interesting. So that the more in- coded indigenous tribal peoples had more strong women Mm -hmm. in their like leading things versus in the kingdom the part that's more patriarchal it's more capitalistic you could say um has men in charge
0: Mm -hmm. right yeah because we see the master of arms for the kingdom is a woman but then everyone who has higher power status they all have sons it's not clear if a woman could be like could be in those positions of power so yeah i don't know Interesting. I love that when Ara decides she's going to kill Effia, knowing that Ara will die in the process, Redjack posts no argument. Um, he asks for permission to touch Ara. This book does a great job of showcasing women who are strong without the men taking up their space. Or arguing against what they want or granting permission for their actions. Yes, the bar here is set super low, <laughs> but I loved it all the same. Yeah, Rajek
1: was more of like support for Ara. It mm-hmm. Ara's like hands down the protagonist. There is no question. Like she is the powerful one in the. Right. I don't really, I don't know. I'm getting kind of lost in my own words. But I, I thought that the gender dynamics between Rajek and Ara were much more ep- equitable than we're used to seeing mm-hmm. he doesn't try to force her to do anything he'd ask for your, ask for her consent like you said um which is not a dynamic that we've seen in most books that we, they seem to fall into like more typical gender norms I would say right strong female characters all
0: around yeah I'm here <laughs> for it I love 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 that aspect of this book um fram the orisha of life and death uses they them pronouns yay and the twin kings are male and female which was really like both of those things are something i don't think we've seen come into like come up in a lot of the books that we've been reading so that was really cool um i don't think this book is far off from being binary in the ways that we see so many books are but i think it's good to see small steps definitely Again, the bar is pretty low on this front, but I appreciate the author making an effort. I didn't see anything in my limited research showing that the Yoruba made space for anything but two genders, but that is definitely a possibility. hmm And I like how the um, book takes, like, the Yoruba
1: faith and the Orishas, and it is expanding it out to maybe include things that weren't originally encoded. Right. But I know also at the same time, like, the gender binary is a Western colonial imposition.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So maybe wasn't wasn't there before, might be there now.
1: Let's talk a little bit about disability slash ability in the book. Let's. So one of the most visible, I guess, instances of disability is Ty, who doesn't speak and who has I, I think what they call episodes in the book of extreme like, distress, during which only Artie can talk to her and calm her, I think, through her magic. And, of course, we, as readers later, understand why Tai is disabled, and it's a result of Capri's Ren Ike violating her mind. I just appreciated the visibility of PTSD and, like, validating it as a completely mm, normal reaction to trauma. Like, it happens. Like, it. that is an effect of trauma very often and the enduring effects of trauma. I thought this book actually made an effort of dealing with them rather than being like this bad thing happened and now this person is bad right? and now they do bad things. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you're still, even if the trauma happened years and years and years ago, like you can actually still, it's an embodied reaction to what happened.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it really does go to show like those things really stick with you even (laughs) like, yeah, even when they happened a long time ago,
1: Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own.
0: Ara and Rojek remind me of Romeo and Juliet because they have feuding families. Totally. Star-crossed lovers. Yeah. I know they didn't get an H.E.A. in this book. In fact, Rojek sleeps with Effia, who tricks him into it, Um, I should say. Which is also a consent issue. Violation of consent. Right. You can consider that, like. Rape. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is the opposite of happy, and now Ara and Red Jack can't touch each other because of magic and anti magic. But I kinda hope they figure this out in the future because Red Jack is just like really sweet and like they obviously really like each other and they're just like, Oh, they're so cute.
1: I appreciate the slow burn and the fact that Ara and Red Jack are were slash are friends first and foremost. I like how that's built out and that the pining made sense but it also was kind of secondary to the fact that they just really love each other on a friend level yeah and appreciate each other as people
0: yeah which is probably how you should enter into relationships with people like romantic relationships if you're into that like you should probably be friends (laughs) and like like each other
1: maybe like know each other (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think it's probably pretty important. <laughs> I mean, it's worked out for me so far. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's also how my relationship started. Yeah. So maybe I am biased. Yeah, for sure. We've also been on in our relationships for long enough that I feel like we can say that with a little bit of authority. <laughs> <laughs> Kira and Hasana are lesbians, or at least they are are queer and they like each other we don't know about any past relationships with the two of them
1: and they actually like kiss and have physical contact with each other and the book normalizes that completely and it doesn't seem like they're ostracized or otherwise like discriminated against because of their sexuality
0: right which i really appreciate because we don't often get that that often in books Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there always has to be a problem at the center of people's queerness and that's not always the case like infinite noise like that's not always the case Exactly, much appreciated. Thanks, Rana Baron.
1: <laughs> I thought that this book explored parent-child relationships almost more than any other type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Ara and Oshi, her father, have a deep understanding and respect for one another. They spend a lot of time together. They enjoy each other's company. Ara loves Oshi's stories, and she loves to go work in his shop with him. And it seems like they have a really Deep relationship based on like mutual understanding and they love each other, right. Um, and that's definitely contrasted to Ara's relationship with Artie, her mother, because like is always like disappointed and constant like her constant scorn. And these are the things that ara's they're the center of Ara's emotional struggles throughout the entire novel until she finally, realizes that maybe if i have to almost die to get my mother's uh approval it's not worth it um which is not definitely yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's too far that's just too far and there's so much complexity to a parental child relationship and one thing i appreciated about kingdom of souls is that it we go along with Ara on this journey of getting more and more information so you can understand Oshi better and understand RT better. And as a child grows, like it's mirroring the fact that as a child grows up or as you like go from adolescence into adulthood, you're learning more about your parents and they're not as simple as maybe we thought that they were before.
0: Right. No, 100% agree. And I don't think we get that many books where... I mean, a lot of times we see like a parent becoming evil and doing really bad things, but without any background knowledge of as to why that happens in YA books. So it was really interesting to get like this backstory for RT and what's going on, and like she just really loves RT, and they have a complicated relationship. But we we really get to and in the end, I mean, obviously RT does like a lot of bad things, but you know, getting that background knowledge really helps and I think it's like useful for Ara as a character like we'll see more of that come up
1: putting that together with how we just talked about Rajek and then how you talked about Oshi, I think we have a picture of masculinity that is actually very generative Mm -hmm. and beautiful and emotionally nuanced and like actually has access to emotions. Mm-hmm. Seems like both Rajek and Oshi are in touch with their emotions and care about the emotional well-being of the people around them, which is, then we could contrast that to, for example, Ramek, mm-hmm. who's a figure of masculinity. He's, a, despite being an Orisha, right. who doesn't really give a fuck right. about, he, he like uses people as pawns, essentially.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if... um um. obviously I don't know but in obviously in other cultures like gender is not always treated the same so it it is possible that like in cultures where women are in charge like maybe men are more responsible for the emotional well-being and bringing up children and doing those kinds of things so I wonder like when you switch around how like how we socially construct gender like do we see people being responsible for different attributes than what we see in like the United States you know
1: yeah which is what I think one of the most wonderful powers of sci-fi and fantasy is in speculative fiction is it allows us to imagine different ways of what if we fucked around with gender and it didn't exist in the same way right
0: yeah it's really cool and yeah I really appreciated that about this book another type of
1: relationship that was incredibly important as ancestors and elders ara becomes the last witch doctor and has all the all of the cause of the different witch doctors who of the adam who afia killed and they're all connected to her body Mm -hmm. and so she can access i thought this was a really wonderful way of um portraying like intergenerational relationships and intergenerational knowledge and just validating that sort of a connection across time and space, which is not something that we really, that we see in books by white authors. Really. Right. I think I would, I would go so far as to make that like blanket statement.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if it has, like when I was growing up on the black side of my family, like we spent a lot of time with grandparents. Um, They like were a big part of my life and i I don't know cuz I didn't grow up near my white grandparents like maybe that is the like I don't know did you spend a lot of time with your grandparents growing up like were they a big part of your life my
1: maternal grandmother was because we lived really close to her like mm-hmm. I could walk to her house and we did you know a lot of like fiber art stuff together mm-hmm. that's where I get that from but um I would say the appreciation for elders and ancestors is to me less related to white mm-hmm. or European white European American cultures than it is for example like I know that's really important in Japanese culture right for, right
0: oh yeah for sure yeah and I would say this similar in black culture like there's a lot of like you spend time with your grandparents like you have to be respectful to them like you learn from that like those things are really important so um, I'm guessing Rena Baron, obviously she's she's black so she probably understands those things and brings that into the story as well i do wonder like what's going to happen with ara like she's the last witch doctor but like what happens when she dies it might be like an alina
1: style like a sun summoner Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. where then the power gets redistributed to other people again
0: as long as she doesn't have to have children to pass that power on i am (laughs) a-okay yes (laughs) no kids please (laughs) sexy times no 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 there is a makeout scene yeah and you know what I was fine with it because I don't feel like the love story was the center of this story and that was okay it wasn't and that was yeah that I really liked that part actually about
1: we've been seeing more novels where the romance isn't like the core of what's going on with the protagonist and since they're mostly women protagonists I really appreciate that yeah
0: it's been great Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. Again, we have a story where the burden is on the reader to look up certain articles of clothing look like, which I loved. Just look things up when you don't know them. Most of us have the internet at our disposal. Like, just do it. It was great. I like that.
1: This refusal to cater to a white audience is another aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Which... Yes. I'm all here for it.
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: I thought this novel had a, a struck a pretty good balance of world building, character development and action. We often we know that like first books in a series often have to do a lot of this world building and characterization work um and sometimes that comes at the expense of action, but there was a ton mm-hmm. of adventure going on in the novel and lots of violence lots of twists and it's not easy to balance all of those things in a novel i don't think
0: yeah some of the problems would have been so easily fixed with cell phones and (laughs) i love how that causes contention in the books that aren't set in present day where sometimes the characters just don't call people to ask things when you know they could have and that gets really annoying to me um People can't be saved as easily when there's no technology involved and I think that what makes it more realistic and gives more tension to books that aren't set in present day. Agreed I think that's a good point. Recommend if you like. Children of Blood and Bone and no it's not because they're both black authors but They are both books that deal with people with limited exposure to colonialism, both have the Orisha, and both have super strong Black women at the center of their stories. So I think if you like Children of Blood and Bone, you'll also really enjoy um, Kingdom of Souls.
1: Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that
0: you hadn't before? Mine is a question. Would you trade years of your life for magical abilities? Context dependent?
1: Yes. Okay. It would depend on what I needed to do. Okay. For example, if I could trade years of my life in order for people in our Congress to give a flying (laughs) fuck about climate change and stop like imminent climate apocalypse, hands down, yes, I would do it.
0: You're so much more of a better person than me because I'm like, if I could get rid of my ulcerative colitis, would I do it? (laughs) 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 i meant more selfishly kelly not like so altruistic well i mean it's like climate change is basically the demon king reawakening yeah awakening
1: right so that's true you think more selfishly Mm -hmm. what would i do selfishly um like if if i could get rid of my crohn's disease would i do it yeah Uh, i mean it takes years off my life either way so so why not
0: <laughs> why the fuck not yeah but would i live long? like it's hard because like it's taking years off of our lives but also like we're gonna lose extra years like will we just get our time back that we were losing anyways
1: <laughs> i don't, yeah and this whole notion of cure is like super fraught anyway for me yeah so
0: i don't i don't know the answer to that <laughs> question <laughs> okay well that's what i thought about like do you trade years of your life i don't know it's a hard question if laney could live forever if i traded years of my life i would probably do it
1: but then you wouldn't live forever. Yeah,
0: but someone else could take care of her. I just want her to be happy.
1: That's so beautiful.
0: <laughs> She's my baby. What about you?
1: I came up with two things. So the first one is inaction as a form of violence. We see this with the Orisha. And they knew that Caprice Renike was violating young women's minds. Like, dozens of them. And they did nothing about it like he was literally the main priest to the mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Right? It, it it just kind of reminds me of like um like the like the sexual abuse scandals of like priests, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for example. Like you're a spiritual leader and you're abusing your power and fuck that and fuck you. Um and I think the novel underscores the fact that choosing not to act is a choice right. and it is a choice that inflicts violence. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about, like, white silence equals violence, basically.
0: And it does, 100%. What's your other thing? The second thing I
1: thought of is this tendency to sanitize stories of trauma and pain. So, Artie's story told to Ara by Oshi and Rajek is, quote, a tale made pretty by smoothing over the details, end quote. And then Ara continues, and she says, quote, even the most horrible act isn't so bad if you skip the most devastating parts. But here they are laid out before me, end quote this to me underscores several things that i've been thinking about like in the wider world how we sanitize um for example it's just like how to explain this like a voluntary amnesia or like a willful ignorance for example to um the fact that the us caused a lot of the conditions of instability that are causing central american people to migrate mm-hmm to the u.s and then it's like manifesting as a quote-unquote border crisis Mm -hmm. or like a caravan invasion or all of these like xenophobic bullshit things that get thrown out there um just this this like myopic view that doesn't understand really the scope of responsibility Mm -hmm. and then that makes accountability really hard right if not impossible that's another thing that the the book was really making me think about
0: yeah all good points Thanks for listening
1: to J.K. It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Labyrinth Lost by Soraida Cordova. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you, magical listener. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or whatever else you want us to know by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at jkmagicpod. Post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading or contact us via email at jkmagicpod at gmail.com
0: know a friend who would enjoy the podcast please spread the word you can subscribe to jk it's magic on the podcast app of your choice and if you're feeling benevolent we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show if you're interested in supporting jk it's magic you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee you can also support us monthly on patreon in exchange for minisodes bonus apps swag and much more kelly is recording on cheyenne ute and arapaho land jesse is recording on
1: peoria Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weah, Miami, Muskotan, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land.
0: Until next time, stay magical.
1: um pancakes <laughs> my partner just brought me pumpkin pancakes so spoiled so spoiled <laughs> thanks for listening to jk it's magic we'll be back in one week
0: oh two weeks sorry we'll be back thanks for
1: okay. <laughs> and see yeah right <laughs>